Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. We're just going to cover those four verses. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. It should be Mark with the sixth chapter. <clears throat> Starting verse 1, children, obey your parents and Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now turn over to Colossians chapter 3. It's just a couple pages over in your Bible. And there's a parallel passage. I'll just read it because it kind of includes what we finished or concluded uh, in the marriage study. It's inclusive of both marriage and kids, and, but it's a, it's a short passage as we just read. Colossians chapter 3, starting verse 18, Paul wrote both, both these letters. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So we have kind of a uh, a parallel passage there. I just wanted to read that to you uh, as Paul reiterates these thoughts. But if you were looking at verses 1 through 4 of Ephesians 6, if you were looking at it as a parenting and family book, it would be the shortest book ever written, wouldn't it? Say, uh, Paul, do you got any more? You know, I, I, I go to Lifeway, I get really thick books of this kind of stuff, you know. Um, can you imagine Paul presenting this to the Lifeway authorities like, uh, hey, I wrote a parenting book. It's four sentences. What do you think? Then he has to convince them the Holy Spirit did it. And by the way, the Holy Spirit did it. Four, four sentences can tell us a lot, can't it? This is actually, though, a reminder. What it is, it's a reminder of priorities and the larger context of healthy believers healthy families, and a healthy church family, as we've looked at throughout Ephesians. So in following Paul's brief outline here, my goal this morning is not an eight-hour parenting workshop, since I only have about 40 minutes anyway, right? But rather, it is a reminder and an encouragement to reprioritize and to reappreciate the incredible value and the purpose of children the purpose of parents, and the role of family as God intended it. And you can see the title, The Next Generation. And this is God's plan for parents and kids and uh, families. The next generation, though, we, we listen to that term, we hear that term, is always looking to the current generation. Now, you might think they're not looking, but they are looking. The next generation is always looking to the current generation for guidance, and aren't you glad the Lord is here to help both generations? And not just the current, but other generations. Sometimes we have multi-generations in a single family. And God's here to help all those generations. I, I know I'm glad to have the Lord's help. Having God's perfect and precise counsel, it guarantees us we don't have to guess at these things. We don't have to say, well, I wonder how this group of people would do it. No, it only matters what God's people do, how he has said, this is how it works. And this, if you follow these things, they won't fail. We're going to look first. Do I have a clicker? If not, someone can just move me on to 
the next slide here. But I want to start first looking at children. There's the magic little clicker. There we go. Wonderful infrared device that it is. But this first point, if you're taking notes, we're only going to look at two things that children and parents. That's what uh, Paul talks about, and those are the two things that we want to look at. If this decides to agree with me or not. No, too far. There we go. All right. Now let's stop at this first word, children. So Paul opens up this sentence, this very first word, and ponder what it means to God. What does that word mean to God, children? And therefore, what should it mean to us and the associated value of children? Children, when you hear that word, what comes to mind? You just hear the word children, what starts to kind of come into your thoughts? Maybe you see kids getting on a bus. Maybe you see some kids outside playing. Maybe you immediately see the faces of your own kids or when they were smaller, when they were younger. Our concept of children is based on what we've seen and processed in life, but it's God who designed children. Remember that the first two humans weren't children, right? Adam and Eve weren't kids. They were adults and they had no earthly parents. They were the children of God, just as God the Father and Jesus still refer to us as the spiritual children of the Lord. Now, here's what the Bible has to say about children, how God views them and how God values them. In Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. It's not a curse to have kids. Some people think, oh, man, if I didn't have these kids. God says it's a reward. Psalm 139.14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know we don't feel like we're wonderfully made sometimes, right? But God says you made it, you're made in the image of God. The children that are born are, are made in the image of God. Matthew 19, 14, Jesus doing a little ministry teaching said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if you're going to have any kind of effective ministry, you must, must, must minister to children. Put them a place of value. Children are of infinite value to God, but sadly, they have far too often been of little value at times throughout history. Did you know that? At times in history, they, they weren't of much value. And fortunately, this is still the case today, far more than we think or maybe think about. Here in the time of Paul's writing to the Ephesians, understand that girls were of less value in ancient societies. It would be bad news for my family because that's all we got in the house. <laughs> I hate to tell y'all, but we are on the low end of the priorities around here. We didn't have any sons, so we are what we are, you know. But they were of less value in ancient societies. So the fact that Paul's inclusive of boys and girls here, children, meaning both, underscores God's equal care for both. And by the way, I believe God highlights the equality of value in other passages, such as the daughters of Shalom, uh, we see in the Old Testament, Nehemiah, the daughters of Philip the Evangelist in the book of Acts. In both places, in contrast to the much more dominant thought in ancient societies that boys were more valuable than girls. Now, during the Roman time, during the uh, Roman Empire, 
during the time where Paul is writing this, children often were seen as little value or even as an added and unnecessary burden to families. They got in the way of things, or they were a financial burden to adult life. And so not uncommon in the Greco-Roman period was to see children believe, it's hard to believe this, but they would place children on garbage heaps to be picked up as refuse. This was something that was not unusual in the Greco-Roman period. Hey, let's put them on the garbage heap and someone will come get them. And they would often be turned into gladiators, sometimes slaves or prostitutes. Can you imagine? Did you know that similar things are happening in the world right now? Right now? And most Christians don't pray about it at all. That's somebody's problem in Southeast Asia. Breaks God's heart, doesn't it? It's horrific. It's horrible. It's evil. And Satan has used the unregenerate heart of man to kill, to enslave, to molest, and destroy millions of children down to the ages. And of course, it's still happening. Millions are aborted every year as if their lives have no value at all. Children are still being enslaved. They're exploited. They're placed on the Internet in the most vile of purposes. And yet many Americans and even many in the church, many church-going Americans, I should say, they would certainly condemn those abuses and abandonment of children, but they have slowly deceived themselves as to the value of their own children. You say, well, what do you mean by that? I, I, I hate all that kind of stuff. I think all that's evil, but how am I missing the value of my kids? Think of the millions of American homes where people's careers, entertainment, their education, their status, their hobbies mean more than their kids. And certainly those things mean more than the souls of their kids. It's God highlighting this point through a car horn. I don't know. I've never had him do that. I've heard thunder. But if he wants to use a car horn... He's modernizing it there, you know, <laughs> contextual, if you will. No, no, parents in the church or good upstanding community parents, they don't drop their kids off at the ash heap like they did in ancient Rome. No, they drop them off at the iPad. They drop them off at the iPhone. They drop them off at the TV. They drop them off at the bus stop. They drop them off at the movies. They drop them off at the mall. They drop them off at the practice field. They drop them off at the friend's house. That's where they drop them off. And they say, somebody will take care of their souls, but it probably won't be us. Unwittingly or uncaringly, just let the social media, let the school district, let the friends and the peers, let Hollywood, let the music industry, let the neighborhood, let the kids in the neighborhood, let the sports team, a cornucopia of things that might free up mom and dad or even the single parent who might be struggling just to make ends meet, all these things, while the kids are raised by, get this, the system of the world. They're being raised by somebody. Oh, yeah, they still have a nice house and they have nice stuff, but who is really leading them? 
guiding them. Now, I'm not condemning all these things. We have technology in our house. We have a TV. We enjoy some of those leisure things. That's not a combination of those things in and of themselves. What I'm saying is that these things can be used appropriately and well-managed, and they can be well-inspected, well-inspected aspects of life or teen life. Or they can actually become life itself. That's a scary thing. Those things can become life itself, where the eternally unimportant, mindless, and even harmful things of the world, the things the world places great value on, can become the center of molding our kids. This is true. God says this is, God spoke to Israel in these same terms. Don't take them back to Egypt, he said. Don't leave them at the ash heap of, well, as long as their headphones are in, they're going to be fine. Parents can be so preoccupied with their own lives that kids are raising themselves. But they're actually not. Satan is more than happy to invest time in our kids. He doesn't value them at all but he greatly values their destruction. Understand that. Satan does not value your kids, but he values their destruction. And he will know if you and I are completely preoccupied. He pays attention, doesn't he? He knows where our hearts really are at. He may use different, and I would say almost ingenious tactics of inoculation in this first world Judeo-Christian society. And culture, but his end game is the same. God, on the other hand, has their eternal value in mind, their eternal value. Not that someone pats them on the back someday and says, you went to Harvard. Aren't you special? Right? The pride of life, that's what that's called. Look at me. Look what I've done. God looks past life. Life is but what a vapor, God says. And yet, so many are focused on the same things the ancient Romans were, that they're not throwing their kids aside, but they're kind of laying them aside. Let's look at the role, the role of children. Now, we understand that God says, hey, their value is, it's an eternal value, their souls. So what are you going to do to pour into their soul? What is their role? What is the role of children? I put four things up here that we'll take a look at. Now, real, uh, real quickly, before we look at the specific role of the kids in the home, let's not overlook that Paul includes the kids as important members of the church. Isn't that great? And just that little knowledge there that Paul, he's writing a letter to the church, but he says, hey, by the way, this one's to the kids, children. He's writing specifically to the kids. An apostle, one of the 12 apostles is writing to the kids. If you're in children's ministry, you are not in some substandard ministry. Apostles wrote to kids on behalf of God. They're important members of the church. He writes directly to them as valuable members of the body of believers. Like adults, kids need biblical teaching. They need apostolic teaching. They need the Word of God. They need to be taught by the Spirit. Hence the letter to the whole church, but hence the letter also Two kids. Now, the role of children in the Bible is very straightforward. 
Therefore, the role of children in our families is very clear. Because the Bible doesn't make this ambiguous. We know what it says. There's nothing about God's given design that we can't clearly see here. Now, understand that the role is different. The role is different than the benefits of children. The role of kids is not to be confused with their benefits. Paul doesn't address the benefits, and we don't have time this morning to address all the benefits and all the wonderful blessings that children are. Now, some people don't think that. I, when I was in corporate America, I had a colleague who always used to say, no kids, clean carpet. They didn't want kids. The Bible tells us there's no ox in the trough is clean. When you have kids, you get other blessings that are better than clean carpet. Or you can have your house as a museum, but you'll die with it as a museum. You know, don't you miss those new baby smells? Some, we, have a, we have a really productive baby group here lately. <laughs> so you, if you're not getting enough new baby smells, it's coming. Now, I'm not talking about the other smells, babies. I'm talking about just that baby Johnson's smell, that, that kind of thing. Or hearing, what about hearing your kids laugh? Don't you like to hear your kids laugh? Having a toddler fall asleep in your arms. I can't do that anymore. I have to steal someone else's toddler for just a few minutes. I've done it. Seeing Christmas through their eyes. Don't you love to see Christmas morning through your kids' eyes? It's boring through our eyes, isn't it? It's a lot more boring through our eyes. We see price tags and all this other nonsense. We see the lines and the traffic and everything. Watching your kids score a goal. It's better than you scoring something. Seeing them achieve a milestone. Just, or just having someone to vacuum the living room because they messed it up anyway, right? <laughs> All right, that's a benefit that people used to have kids. We had 13 to work farm here, right? You know, we don't think that way anymore, but people did. But those are benefits too, but that's not exactly what I was thinking. There are, of course, many other benefits, but the role and responsibility given to children is Paul's concern here too. It's Paul's concern, and it's our concern too. And it relates to God's blessing on them and the home. So they have a role to play. The benefits, yes, those are great. But here Paul's not focusing on the benefits. He's focusing on the role. The benefits will come if the role is fulfilled anyway. The role of kids, regardless of age, is to what? Children obey. There it is. Obey. We look at four things. Uh, we'll look at obey. And all of this is kind of found right in the text. Obey, learn, apply, and honor. But you can't learn without obedience. Did you realize that obedience is kind of really key to learning something? You have to sit down and be quiet. So you, have, you have to obey that to actually hear what you're being taught. You haven't really learned until you've applied something, right? Just head knowledge. But when you've really learned it, you can actually apply it. You can actually do something with it. And to honor your parents, well, that's a lifetime responsibility. Not just when young. Those of you that have aging parents, you're finding this out. Say, oh, I thought I was done with that when I was a teen. Right? No. But the first and primary role starts with obedience. Submitting to God in his ordained order. 
Why? Why obedience? Why is obedience first? Well, this is partly given also to the parents. I know it's to the children here, but also there's a, a nuance here for the parents. So the parents don't say something like this. She's so cute. How can I possibly make her obey? I mean, look, at she's adorable. because Just because she keeps throwing the cookies in the toilet, I, that's, isn't that adorable? Well, it's cute after a while, but then you realize, hey, this is money. We pay for these things. And what if my ring is thrown in the toilet? And what if my wallet is thrown in the toilet? And everything else, anything could happen. By the way, these are real-life things that happen, right? Because you have seen these. So even if they're cute, you still have to enforce obedience. Yes, obedience is really, really key. And if it's not addressed when they're young, the consequences are much tougher sledding when they're older. But notice Paul's and the Holy Spirit's express answer on why obedience. Why obedience? Obey your parents, Lord, for this is right. Well, there's a long book. Right? Boy, you could scrap a lot of the books in the bookstore. Paul says, you want a, you want a reason? Because it's right. I got a lot of epistles to write, so I'm just going gonna to shorten this up. It's right. I got a lot of letters to write. Philippians want one. Colossians want one. Right? It's right. Boy, what an impact of positive change we would see in the world if we started doing things just because they're right. Amen. Just because it's right. Not convenient, not acceptable, not self-serving, not popular, but right. Not according to men, but according to who? God. You and I don't define right. Well, the right says, the left says, well, God says. Kids, if you want to please God and have his blessing on your life, and I hope you do, I'm talking right to the kids now, do what he says is right. Notice also this phrase, parents in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. Now, on the one hand, this is written to the church, and it's assumed that Paul is writing to Christian parents. Parents that are what? In Christ. They've been saved. It assumes they're believers. But beyond that, parents, even unsaved parents, let's say we've had in the past, we've had teenagers get saved in our church that had unsaved parents. What do they do? This doesn't apply to them? No. Even unsaved parents are representative agents of God's authority. A saved child still must obey unsaved parents unless they're asking them to sin. That's a different story altogether. <laughs> if they're not asking you to sin, say, hey, I want you home by 11. You're not, you're not a saved parent, so I'm, I'm choosing 1130. <laughs> God says, I didn't give you that option. Police officer saved or unsaved still has a position of authority. Teachers, all these, you're teaching that God says, I have authority in your life. So first and foremost, to be obedient. Simply put, to disobey, to disobey and disrespect parents is to disobey and disrespect 
God. And that's sin. And that's not wise. And it's very self-destructive. Because you can't destroy God. You only destroy yourself. Which brings us to the promise. We have a promise here. To obey and to learn and to apply what our parents have said and, to, and have taught are in, themsel- in and of themselves their collective forms of honoring them. So just to do these things, to obey and to learn and all these things, to apply these things, that honors our parents and say, well, we can look and see your life as a reflection of what we've taught. But to honor also refers to attitude. And it's to maintain a lifetime attitude of respect and proper treatment. To speak highly of, to care for, and to help in the later years and also in the younger years. So I'm referring here to still the last point in the roles uh, is to um, understand that if we really want this promise, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. We have to honor them. But there's this promise, and what is it? That it may be well with you, that you may have a long life on the earth. Kids, Paul's reminding you, do you want a long life? First on your list is to put into practice God's role and outline for obeying and honoring your parents. This will help you more than exercise, more than diet, more than education. In fact, in doing so, will lead to better decisions in those areas anyway. And then as you walk in the Spirit, it would be impossible to walk in the Spirit and not obey your parents and not follow God's Word. Parents, let's look at our reminder and encouragement. He goes on, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up. Bring them up. Not send them down. Bring them up. Higher place. In the training and admonition of the Lord. What is the value of parents? Kids are scratching their, oh, I don't know. It's a tough one. What is the value of my parents? Christmas is coming, I better say something good, right? You know. Well, the value of your parents, for those of you who have kids, if for nothing else, is found in you being here today. In other words, because of them, you're here. Moms like to say, I brought you into this world, right? <laughs> I can take you out, you know, that kind of. <laughs> God chose them to bring us in. But remember that the command from the beginning was to be fruitful and multiply. Adam and Eve were told to be fruitful and multiply. Have children. God created a set of parents first. Remember, they didn't have parents. He created a set of parents, and then he set the directive for them to have children and start a family. Put them in place, then said, now have a family. Now, that's a good start, but God places much more value on being parents than just having children. He puts a high value and an expectation that parents will deeply love their children. God says, I I want you to deeply love them. That they'll embrace a God-given desire to care for, 
to pray for, provide for, and invest in their children. You see, the value of parents is someone to oversee the protection and development of children. God places great value on parents being a covering for their children. The children, understand mom and dad, the children actually belong to God. Did you know that? The children actually belong to God. And in a sense, he's lent them to us as parents to demonstrate the heart of God. That's a tall task, isn't it? What? You mean they really belong to God and I'm supposed to steward this well? Yeah. Tall task. But as scriptures tell us, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Big jobs, small jobs. We can accomplish the task when we're yielded to the Lord. We become valuable parents, ones producing lasting fruit and a godly legacy, when we are spirit-led parents. In other words, we have no value in and of ourselves. I have no value as a pastor whatsoever, teacher, speaker, unless the Holy Spirit anoints it. None. You might as well read the encyclopedia. But if it's spirit-anointed, different story. Which brings us to the roles he's given us expressed here in verse 4 and elsewhere in Scripture. Let's look at the roles of parents. By the way, kids, I didn't note it, but kids are there to follow. Parents are there to what? Lead. Great leaders have to first be good followers. But we're there to lead. Well, um, we looked at the kids. We looked at the value of both parents and kids, this role here. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, It is from God that parents receive their children, and it is to God that they in turn ought to lead them. We receive them from God, and we take them back to God. That's a great umbrella statement for our role as parents. If you have a child, you've been made the steward of a very precious commodity that's called a soul. We talked about that at the outset. As C.S. Lewis liked to point out, we're not bodies with souls. We're souls with bodies. We're souls with bodies. Why is that so important in parenting? The more we think of our kids as eternal souls, the more we'll parent with eternal motives. That's why it's important. Your kid is not a body with a soul. Your son or daughter is a soul with a body. And When you start to think every day, hold on a second, this is a soul, you'll start thinking eternally in your decisions, what you allow, what you pour into, what you call as important, what you invest your time and energy in. That's why it's important. It's God's heart. God's heart is eternal, isn't it? Turn your attention back to verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Fathers is also inclusive of parents. Actually, the, the word here actually means moms and dads. It's inclusive. It can mean just fathers, but it can also mean both, and I believe Paul's being inclusive of both here. Now, this isn't really about dads teasing their kids and getting them all fired up. Dads are good at that, by the way. They know how to do this. It's a 
God-given skill. <laughs> How to fire them up with just a little phrase or just a little action. Though there's room for that in the application, there is room for that. That does fit biblically the principle duality. You can put that here and it would fit. It's not precisely what Paul is getting at. What Paul is saying here is parents don't fail to lead. Don't give up on leading. Don't lead your kids to wrath, even eternal wrath, by not faithfully leading them to everlasting life. That's the, the more depth of what Paul's saying. Hey, make sure that what you're doing is leading them to life, not leading them to wrath. And there's application for the practical stuff, not, not teasing them, firing them up, all that stuff too, but the, the greater emphasis is at the soul level here, that your life would be long, right? How about eternity? Even longer. Get help from the Lord and work hard at your role as a parent. Get help from the Lord, then work hard. Do it in concert. It won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. So what can we glean here from the text that can assist us as our in our roles as moms and dads. Well, we looked at the role of children. Here's a simplified, simplified view of the role of parents. Learn, love, model, and disciple. Learn, love, model, and disciple. How do we learn? How do we as parents, how do we as adult parents learn? We have to maintain a life devoted to God in prayer and in his word, first and foremost. That's how we learn. We learn from the Lord, in his word and in prayer. Um, it was uh, Martin Luther said, a Christian that doesn't pray is not a Christian. I didn't say it. Luther said it, so you have to take it up with him. So, <clears throat> but the reality is, if we have a relationship with the Lord, we're going to pray and we're going to read, but that's where we learn from the Holy Spirit. But it's not just there. In worship, we have the worship team up here, learning through worship, coming to church, sitting under the word, fellowship with other believers, iron sharpens iron, all of these ways we learn. We continue to learn. We're to be lifetime learners, amen? amen. Lifetime learners. I don't care how old you are. We're to we're continue to learn. During, after, before kids are in the home, always learning. Here's the thing. If we aren't learning, we aren't growing. But if we are learning and growing, we have a living faith Understand this. We have a living faith to pour into our kids. You need a living faith, an active faith. Kids can see stagnant faith, and they walk away from stagnant faith. They are attracted to a living faith. Rules only take you so far. A living faith. What about love? What does is, what is love what does love look like? What are we called to do in the work of love? It's sacrificial. It's consistent. It's telling our kids we love them. Literally saying, I love you. Telling them. It means investing time. A lot of people don't want to invest time. That's why they just outsource everything else. TV, iPad, activities, 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 stuff, stuff, stuff. No, it's investing time. It means listening to them. It means dying to ourselves on many occasions, parents. 
many occasions. I was wanting to do, it means putting spiritual things above temporal things because God is love. It's based on truth. So sometimes love is saying no even when the whole world is saying yes. The whole world is a lot of times wrong. Remember what Paul said? Because what is right doesn't matter. Love sometimes says no. What does it mean to model? What does it mean to model something? Today's messed up society. They think of a runway fashion show or something like that, right? But the reality is when it comes to modeling, we're teaching our kids at all times. We're always teaching them something, either positively or negatively. How do we respond when things go wrong? Do we lose our temper? Or do we stop and pray? What are our real priorities? Boy, you should ask your family sometime. Kids, write out mom and dad's priorities in life. I'm not ready for that, right? Might be a good thing. Find out what they really think. Say, so you're not going to get in trouble if you don't write what we're hoping you write. Our kids are watching. They've seen what we really model. Would your kids call you a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ or a really semi-regular churchgoer? What would they call you? A devoted disciple or a semi-regular churchgoer? Ask them. Even ask them what a disciple looks like. If they have a bad definition, then someone has some teaching to do anyway. If they have a good definition, that's a good thing. Dad and mom, your level of spiritual commitment will be the bar for your kids. Your level of spiritual commitment will be the bar for your kids. If your bar is low, theirs will likely be lower. Did you get that? Whatever your, if your bar is low, theirs will probably be lower. If your bar is where Jesus wants it, guess what? They'll follow that. They're looking for that. They'll likely follow. So how, what about discipling? How is discipling different from modeling? Well, they're very interrelated. No question, modeling and discipleship go hand in hand, very interrelated. And for that matter, <clears throat> all four of these are overlapping and interrelated. Uh, but to disciple your kids... Biblically understanding of discipleship, to disciple your kids is to teach them the word of God. To teach them the word of God, to engage them in prayer, to engage them in discussion, helping them work out spiritual matters. Like, how do they share their faith? How do they invite a friend to church? What do I pray? How do I pray? How do I work through problems? How do I resist temptation? Those are areas of discipleship. And it all is found in the Word of God. So you can't disciple without the Word of God. It goes hand in hand. You have to open it up and show what the Bible says. Modeling will be the Spirit-filled life flowing through your life. But discipleship won't just happen. It won't poof, all of a sudden just happen. We'll need to be intentional about it. It requires training and admonition. You may have a notion of getting to church, but you actually have to drive the car to get there, right? It takes intention to discipleship. Moses told the children of Israel regarding this in training, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, 
and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses said, discipleship and modeling are full-time jobs. You don't get a month off. You don't get a week off. It's a lifetime job. We have to make time for devotions. We have to pray as a family. We have to teach our kids how to share their faith and the other things that I mentioned, how to resist temptation and how to fight through feelings and live by faith instead of by feelings. The whole society is dominated by feeling. How to overcome fear and doubt. All these are discipleship. Now, do we have any promises? Do we have any assurances? Well, not in this passage, but in the Bible we do. Many of you know it. Proverbs 22 says, Train up a child the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. I like what Dr. Charles Stanley, he reminds his congregation on a regular basis to just trust God with results. Trust God with results. It's such a simple reminder. You do the role, you trust God with the results. It does us no good to wring our hands and worry about results. God never told us, when Jesus said, throw the net on this side, he didn't say, and now I want you to worry for at least 24 hours if the fish will actually get in the net. Train up a child the way they should go. Well, I know so-and-so's kid, that didn't work. God says, reread the verse. That's why I love that reminder by Dr. Stanley. Trust God for the results. Trust God for the results. If we would trust him more of the results, the results would be really good. Amen? Amen. The more we trust him with the results, the more the results will be really good. When we don't trust him, like Abraham and Sarah, uh, Sarah and, you know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> hey, let's get Hagar involved, right? It was as mixed up as my speech right there, right? God will do his part. We just have to do our part. Our part is to say, Lord, I'm not really good at this role. Will you help me? And God says, I was hoping you'd ask. I'll help you do it. I'll help you be a better modeler, discipler, lover of your kid. I'll help you learn more. Apply it. Kids, he'll help you too. How about it, parents? How are we doing? Are we learning? Are we loving? Are we modeling? Are we discipling? What would the Lord pinpoint in our lives as areas we need to address, because there's always something we need to address. And the Lord, that's why we have to have a personal devotion. He'll pinpoint something. How's our personal walk? This isn't to feel guilty or to be defeated, but to reprioritize again, to reprioritize and to ask God's help in doing so. I love this simple thought from Pastor Danny Aiken to parents within the family. He says, have fun and talk a lot about Jesus. Have fun and talk a lot about Jesus. We like to laugh in our house, but we need to talk about Jesus even more than laughter. And I totally agree with that. But sometimes it takes real spiritual grit and commitment, not just laughing and talking about Jesus, even though that's important. Ten days ago, we all had this American holiday called Thanksgiving. Ten days ago, hard to believe. Seems like... 10 months ago now, right? But it's only 10 days ago. It's always a blessing to feast with the family, isn't it? Four pieces of pumpkin pie in one day. I mean, it's just great, you know? <laughs> Throw the calorie count right out the window that day. But are we willing to also fast for our family? 
great to feast with the family. I love Saturday morning breakfasts in our house. But are me and my wife, are we willing to fast for our family? Feasting with the family is easy. Fasting is not so easy. That's a grit and a spiritual determination that has to be in our life. Do we know where our kids' hearts are at? Are we aware of their real struggles and hopes? Or does some friend know and we don't know? Are they becoming disciples of Jesus or just well-versed in Christianese? Oh, man, they, they know the lingo. As soon as they go to college, goodbye. Go to college, not going to follow that. They're watching. Well, Dad doesn't go to prayer meetings, so why would I? Mom doesn't really do any discipleship stuff, so why would I? They go to church 38 times a year, I'll go three. Christmas, Easter, and maybe some other Mother's Day or something like that. All of these things. Kids, are you obeying mom and dad? Are you hiding things that no one knows, but by the way, God knows? Teens are really good at hiding things. Sorry, teens. I hate to blow your cover, but um, (laughs) I was a teen. Uh, God knows. Are you hiding things? Are you having an attitude of appreciation or just not the best of attitude at all? Are you praying for your mom and dad? Hey, they need your prayers. They need your prayers. Mom and dad, you can say amen there, right? You know, they need your prayers. I need your prayers as a pastor. My kids, when they pray for me, I know it helps. But I know I need to be praying for them. With the next generation, with the current generation of moms and dads and all previous generations, if all the generations represented in this room put Jesus first and we followed God's plan and God's role, we would flourish. Amen?